You may have heard before the insult that someone can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Well, if you were teaching a computer to walk and chew gum at the same time, you might actually find out that the computer has a much tougher time with the walking part and not the chewing gum part. Now, if you told that computer to walk upstairs and chew gum, that's not, that's going to be too difficult for the computer. So someone needs to teach the computer how to do that. My name is Louis Colorotolo. I'm a student at the University of Guelph trying my absolute best to get a PhD in food science and I don't teach computers anything. But I do talk to other graduate students in my free time about what they're doing, what they're studying, and why anyone should care. So today we are talking to recently graduated Val Bauman, who teaches computers how to walk upstairs. She uses machine learning in order to teach a computer how to recognize when a foot is in the air or stepping down on a step. And although that may be very complicated for a computer, not everyone thinks that, but take a listen for yourself. And then they're like, oh, so that's it? Like you're only, you're only making the models? And I'm like, yep, that's it. So if you want to be taught how Vale teaches computers, listen to this episode. But keep in mind while listening, we are early professionals. We don't know absolutely everything. That's why you're listening to an episode of We Know Some Stuff. Hey Vale, it's wonderful to talk to you. Could you do us a real quick favor and start us off by telling us your educational history? I did my Bachelor of Engineering at the University of Guelph for my undergrad uh, with a specialization in biomedical engineering. I guess that was my discipline. Um, imme- immediately after that, I did my Master of Applied Science. Uh, I'm never quite sure. It's so weird because I'm graduated now from that as well, but it's so weird because when you get the degree, it just says Master of Applied Science. Like, that's it. There's no, like, specialty or anything on it. So uh, I now have my Master of Applied Science. I studied engineering uh, with a specialization in artificial intelligence. And I graduated from that in August. So I feel like quite, but I don't know, maybe it's a bit of a unique background. A lot of people in my, ma- or in my master's came from, like, computer science or, like, computer engineering. So I feel like I was a bit different that way. But then I also know people that came from like biomedical engineering. So yeah, that's kind of like my education. Yeah, you have a degree in applied sciences. And now, and (laughs) excuse me for this one, but are you applying sciences right now? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. So now I work at a, a tech consulting company. It's called Avanoid. And tech consulting is kind of like a broad term. And I remember when I was interviewing, I was like, what does tech consulting even mean? And a lot of people say that, oh, you build solutions for people, which also doesn't mean anything. Like, if you really think about it like this, <laughs> so it's so vague. Like, it's like, what does that what does that even mean? But now that I've actually like started working and have been on projects, you can pretty much think of it as like, if a company wanted anything technical built, so maybe it's like a website or an app or something like CourseLink or something. For example, let's say you're a bank and you want to predict if someone's bank account is going to go below zero dollars and you want that in a production environment, they can hire us to do that. And then from our end, a project team is assembled and they complete the work. Um, And I think why some things are vague, and I only know this now that I'm working in tech consulting, is everything has to be very hush hush like you don't formally sign an nda but we're not allowed to disclose clients or like put details about what we're building or what we're doing so 
it's like you got to keep it big, but it's like you can give enough of a description, like say like, oh, build apps or build something like CourseLink to give people an idea of what we do. So I was hired as an analyst there. I'm working on some data science work right now, but that's that's pretty much what I'm what I'm doing now. So I would say I am applying sciences. <laughs> All right. All right. So you're applying sciences and consulting. If I am to understand this correctly, consulting is kind of the dream job. Oh. Yeah. Uh, do you do you get to? Well, maybe you don't think so. You think, that's actually concerning for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, consulting is is really the application of everything that you've learned and everything that you are doing uh, into real problems that are not necessarily research issues. Right. Yeah. So uh, why I was surprised is I actually haven't heard that like consulting's the dream job but i agree with your sentiment in that you're applying it to real world applicable problems versus like research-based problems like it's like a client is coming to you with a need or a problem that they want solved and then you are working to solve that problem or provide a solution okay solid solid so you you're out there you are consulting the day away but we today are going to be talking about what you researched in the past before you graduated which was honestly not too long ago by the way does it feel free do you feel free uh it's definitely different it's definitely different <laughs> um especially because i went right from like undergrad to master's so it's not like i did a period of like working full time in between or anything. Yeah. So yeah, maybe freeze the word. Definitely. I definitely have more free time. Definitely have more time for hobbies, which is nice. Yeah. What a what a different world. I've never <laughs> left academia, so I have no idea. I'm not sure I'll know even how to handle myself. I think I sent you an email at 2 a.m. <laughs> and that's like when I closed my laptop. It was like, like I have no control of my uh, life. I'm like, I understand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. So let's go back into your research. When you were a student, and I'm not trying to dig up trauma, but when you, when you were a student, you were looking at this incredibly broad topic of artificial intelligence, which is a buzzword. We love okay. that word. Everyone just goes crazy when we hear it. Uh, but you were giving it a specific application. Can you uh, introduce that? Yeah, for sure. I'll kind of like back up even further. So in my undergrad, uh, I did co-op. And my last co-op work term, I worked at a startup that makes instrumented shoe insoles. So the idea is that there's like electronics in a shoe insole. You put it in your shoe and you can measure different things about your motion uh and at the time it was targeted towards like elite athletes for example so yeah or an athlete maybe recovering from an injury it, it's probably different now maybe they've probably expanded to a broader audience but anyway so i worked at a, a startup that built these instrumented shoe insoles and there i was kind of like introduced to the potential of ai and machine learning in wearable devices so things like these instrumented shoe insoles or things like apple watch fitbit because basically like a person wears this device and they collect data all the time. Like I think of Fitbit, I, I wear Fitbit. So I think of Fitbit, I wear this thing all the time. It's collecting so much data about me. Let's use it to predict something or do something. So I was kind of, I guess, inspired by that co-op work term. Um, I always knew I wanted to do my master's. I, I honestly don't know why I wanted to like, I just, I really like school. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't have like a, a clear, I guess, reason for it. I always really like school. I like the idea of like picking a project that you dedicate yourself to for a couple of years. 
Um, so I knew I wanted to do that. And then a prof at Guelph asked if I wanted to work with him. And I said, yes, but I want to leave with these specific skills. Like I want to learn more about machine learning. I want to be able to apply for like data scientist jobs when I graduate. So yeah, he's like, yeah, that sounds good with me. And that's how I started. Like it was shaped by a curiosity of wearable devices with machine learning. And then my research itself, I was building machine learning models to detect both activity and gait phase. Let's say you're walking. At any given moment in time, my models will know you're walking and your leg is in the air during walking, for example, or you're going upstairs and your foot's on the ground when you're going upstairs. Uh, could make predictions like constantly kind of thing because the idea is like at any moment in time, it's making that prediction. And I was doing that using sensors on the leg. So the idea is that this could be embedded in a wearable device, something like an exoskeleton or a smart knee brace and be able to make these predictions. And then that would drive what the exoskeleton does or the, what the smart brace does. So if it needs to apply pressure when your foot's on the ground and you're weight bearing, it will know when you're doing that so that it can act accordingly. I was really focused, like only focused on the algorithms part, not on like the brace design or yeah, like device design, which is kind of, it's kind of funny. So I, part of that, I collected data from 80 people and I remember one person came in and you know, like you're with the person for an hour. So you're just like talking and yeah, you just talk about really anything. And I was describing what I was doing. Like I described literally that, like, Hey, your data is going to be used to develop these models to do da 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 da. And then they're like, oh, so that's it. Like you're only, you're only making the models. And I'm like, yep, that's yeah. it. <laughs> that, that's it. That's it, everyone. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was humbling for sure. Yeah. But good times, good times talking with these 80 people, 80 strangers. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's uncover a few of the things that uh, you said in there. Um, first of all, I walk, you walk. Uh, although you are a data analyst, so I imagine you do a lot of sitting. <laughs> yeah, I, I get 10,000 steps a day, though. Still working on that. So. 10,000? Do you have a standing desk? I've been no, thinking of investing I, in I'm one. I'm thinking of getting one, though, because I do, I do spend a lot. What about one of those treadmill desks? Can we get a treadmill desk? Uh, I feel like I would never be able to yeah, type. Yeah, man, we got to walk before we can run. Get the standing desk first and then think about the treadmill part. <laughs> All right. And then I want to I want to be like running like a 5K every time I'm writing oh an email. Gosh. Like that's the goal. <laughs> All right. So so we do a lot of walking. It is definitely a process that we take for granted. Right? Walking, walking and I I'm not I'm not here to blow anyone's mind right now, but walking's complicated, isn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Stairs is more complicated, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stairs are complicated. All right, all right. So, so, so let's go to walking. When you're walking, you put one foot on the ground, and then you lift another foot, and it raises. It is no longer on the ground, and then it drops back down to the ground. Uh, you propel yourself forward yeah. that way. All right, so it doesn't sound too complicated, but then we go to something like stairs. Why are stairs more complicated than just walking? It seems like it's walking while going up. Yeah, so I guess I, I like your description of walking. It was pretty good. Uh, some some of the before I hop the stairs, some other things to consider in walking is and was that was relevant to my work too was uh, deciding how 
to split up the gait phase or gait cycle rather. So gait refers to like walking and then cycle is when, and I really hope I don't get this wrong in case like my advisor listens to this or something. <laughs> let's say, let's say we start with the right foot. Heel of the right foot hits the ground followed by toe. Uh, at some point in there, your left foot is hitting the ground as well, heel first and then toe. And then when that right foot raises and comes back down to the ground, that's one gait cycle. So it's like from when uh, heel down or like foot contact, heel contact uh, of the one foot and then back to that heel contact of that same foot is one uh, cycle. Uh, so you can split up at one cycle into basically an infinite number of ways. So like stance phase, that's when your foot's on the ground. Uh, and swing phase, that's when your foot's in the air. That's probably the simplest way to split them up, like just two two subdivisions, stance and swing. But then you can split up further. So you can have like three phases in swing. You could have like initial swing, uh, mid I'm really butchering this, middle swing, terminal swing. But bottom line is you can like split it up even further. But for individuals with non-pathological gait, most people step heel toe. And just talking about walking, not running or anything like that. That's like the progression of how the foot lands. Um, and then part of what I found in my work was because we're looking at stairs as well, is that uh, I was also working with like a, a healthy population. So uh, when people walked, it was like in a heel toe progression, not like a toe heel or like totally flat foot kind of progression. But for stairs, people either tend to walk very toe heavy or kind of flat footed. So when you go downstairs, people are uh, either going like, yeah, toe, toe and then heel or like flat. And that just varies across people. And yeah, there have others have, I didn't really look into like the differences between like going upstairs and going downstairs or like stairs and walking. Uh, but I know others have, and there's definitely like biomechanical differences. And like, if you think, like thinking about it too, like when you go upstairs, you have to raise your knee, like you have to bend your knee more and raise your leg higher compared to when you're walking. Yeah, it kind of helps. It's it, biomechanics is fun, and like studying it is fun because like you you have it here, so it's like you can think about okay, how do I walk when I walk upstairs? And then you can like test it out yourself. Yeah, I don't know if you're moving your leg right now. I'm moving mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I have done, you've sent me through a spiral of thoughts, and I swear I was paying attention, <laughs> but I was also thinking about how I climb stairs, and I think when I'm going upstairs, I'm just kind of slamming my foot down, and I know that because I'm very loud when I go upstairs, <laughs> yeah. um, and then when I go downstairs, I'm definitely toe-heavy because I know I kind of just like tip, 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 tip. Yeah. I don't know, maybe part of, I don't, I can't even really explain why, like it might be a function of your foot size. So maybe you're more confident that your entire foot's going to fit as you're walking upstairs. Um, like your whole foot's going to fit on the stairs. So you're, you're confident, like clomping up them. Uh, and then going down, you're like, oh, I actually, I don't want to catch my heel on the back of the stair. I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's, it doesn't feel good. So it's like, oh, I have. oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. I don't want to clip my heel on the back of the step. So I'm just going to tiptoe because I know my toes will fit. I don't know. Yeah, this and and I also feel it's a little bit faster to go on my toes. Like I could go tip da, 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 yeah, da, yeah, yeah. rather than putting the whole heel down. The, I I will say this on record. I I would not lie. I've never thought this much about <laughs> the action of going up or down stairs. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think people do. Like it's just second nature, you know. Like for those people that do walk up and down stairs, like you don't really think about it. You're just doing it. All right. All right. So, you know, we we go up and down stairs. Some of us do it all the time. You know, I, I live in a two floor uh, townhome, so I'm constantly going up 
and then I'm going downstairs. And you used a phrase, and I'm going to re- misremember this one, but you said someone with um, normal gait, or what was it? It was oh, I said non-pathological. Non-pathological. That untangle that word for me. Yeah. So uh, I kind of want to say it's a it's a kind of like a catch-all word, and and it just refers to like people with like normal, healthy gait. And I want to even put like normal in quotations. It's just like a non-pathological gait. It's just like a catch-all term for people that don't have uh, like normal gait that you would expect to see. And that can be due to things like injuries or maybe like a musculoskeletal condition or uh, like it's just kind of like a catch-all for uh, individuals that fall within that group. All right. Okay. So let's for now stick with the pathological <laughs> wait so, so what's the opposite of non-pathological would it just be yikes this is different i did not expect this to be the hardest part for me to understand so so you're looking at people with non-pathological gates and we can look at it we can observe it we can i don't know draw pictures of it but your job was to tell a computer yeah how to look at a non-pathological gate. Yeah, so to do that, okay, pretty much what you need, computers love numbers, right? So you need numbers, or another way of saying that, or to get those numbers, you can use sensors and get sensor readings from the person. Uh, and luckily now, due to like technological advances, wearable sensor or like sensors are small enough that they can be embedded in clothing or just like stuck to a person and they're not like huge and impeding or anything like that. So I attached to, uh, they're called IMUs, inertial measurement units. Uh, they have an accelerometer and gyroscope. Basically they measure motion is what what anyone needs to take away from this. But I put them on the leg, on the outside of the leg, one on the thigh, so that's like, yeah, the thigh, like the upper part of your leg, and then one on the shank, that's like the lower part of your leg. Uh, so if you think of someone standing up straight, think of like their, their knee, like the side of their knee, there was like one uh, sensor above that, above the knee, and then like one below basically. So those were used as like inputs uh, to my models or like inputs to the computer. And then output would say, okay, you're walking and your your leg is in the air right now. Or like you're walking and your leg's on the ground or stairs. Like you, you get the idea. All right. We got these sensors and they're, they're definitely sensing emotion and uh, a feedback from your body. I think if you were to like hold your leg or like if you were to like, you know, you know, hold your thigh while you move your leg up and down, you would feel that there are like muscles and stuff that are moving when you do it. And are the sensors, they're picking up this motion that is driven by your muscles or am I? Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, No, I think you're thinking like EMGs or electromyography units. Those measure like muscle activity. So that would be like how many muscles are firing or how many, how much, uh, I'll just say like muscle energy is required to do this task. Whereas like I was measuring things like how many meters per second is this leg moving? So it, it really had nothing, like you could put an IMU on like a car or something. Like it's not restrict. Whereas like mm. EMG is like muscles only and like how active are my muscles? Uh, I was looking at like strictly motion. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes a lot of sense. All right, so we have these sensors that are looking at motion, and there's different motions when you are walking versus when you're going up and down stairs. Yeah. Right, so, okay, 
you get a whole bunch of numbers. You got your little, your sensors, and they're giving you a stupid amount of numbers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what, what are we doing with all of these numbers? What are we, what are you doing? Right. Okay. So the sensors, one, are measuring at five, 250 hertz. So it's like 250 samples per second. So you're right. There is like a lot going on. Yeah. That's a lot. And there's, all, there's like, what is it? Six channels per IMU? Because there's like, uh, like X, Y, and Z. Bottom line is there, yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of data and you have to take that and make sense of it to say something as simple as you're walking and going upstairs. Something that like someone could look and very easily tell what you're doing. You're trying to communicate that to a computer. So what's commonly used in human activity recognition, which is kind of like the broad category of what I was doing. Um, what's commonly done, it's called like a windowing approach. So the idea is that you take a window of the sensor readings, let's say like 10 samples, uh, and then you calculate what's called features over this window. I hope I'm not gonna get too in the nitty gritty here, but you calculate Go features over this window. So simple things like mean, standard deviation, variance, range, like it can just be as simple as that. You just calculate some numbers that kind of like summarize what happened in these 10 samples, which is just like a fraction of a second, but like what happened in these 10 samples. And then from there, that's what your computer, that's what the like machine learning model or like your computer is learning from. Uh, so there's always kind of like a delay because you can think about like this, uh, these windows, like the larger your window, now your model needs to like wait to collect this many samples. Then it needs to calculate features over this window and then make its prediction. So I hope you can kind of see how that translates to there being a lag between what's being collected and what's being predicted. Okay, so this this is an interesting part that I, I want to clarify. Uh, if if you're you're collecting this sensor information and then you're analyzing it and you're trying to say like, okay, we got this chunk of data now, let's analyze it so we can know what we do. Uh, it, it wouldn't necessarily be useful in this specific application if you got all of this data and then you went into the lab and you were like, uh, da, 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 you know, typing out all this data and you're like, ah, yes, it looks like three days ago when I clicked that data, you were indeed going up a step. Right, right. Yeah, I totally agree. Right. The real time, the real time application of this is huge. So my work, I didn't get to the like the real time step of it because the thing, the idea is that you collect this data, you train a model, which is not done in real time. Like you don't do the learning in real time. But bottom line is like the offline processing is okay for development. And the idea is that you develop the model offline and then it can, once, once it's trained and it's learned and everything, then it can run in real time. So if, yeah, it would be like studying for a test and then someone on the fly asks you a question and then you can answer it right then and there. It's not like you have to go, it's not like you're like, oh wait, I have to go back and check. It's like, no, you've already gotten all that knowledge. Uh, like the computer has gotten all that knowledge in the offline time. So now in real time, it knows exactly what to do or what to predict. I, I like that analogy. That makes a lot of sense for machine <laughs> learning. Okay. We have this machine, it has learned, this machine has also graduated uh, with a degree in applied sciences. Your, your machine has learned. Why are we teaching this machine? Yeah, I love this question. Like, who cares? Like, why are we doing this? Yeah, so why this is important, or like why I did this project and chose this project is in order for things like assistive devices like exoskeletons, knee braces, or like smart leg braces, in order for them to work effectively and to help the person 
like walk and move and be independent, uh, these devices need to know what motion the person is doing or like trying to do. So the idea is that these models are integrated in these devices, uh, which then help people be more independent and like move on their own. So that's like the like the the motivation from day one kind of thing. Like that was that has always been in my back in the back of my mind. Granted, like where my project ended, uh, not not quite there, just because like working with like healthy individuals, uh, you would have to like tune to individuals with pathological gait that are using these devices. Uh, but it's one step closer, and that's important. Right. So if we're if we're looking at devices that assist something like walking or going upstairs, there's a lot of people who can't mm-hmm. walk or go upstairs. So if we're thinking the exoskeleton, which I feel that uh, a lot of people have seen this in the news in recent time, they say, oh, we could put you know, exoskeletons on factory workers and they can lift as much <laughs> as you know a forklift can. You know, there's there's like a lot of that talk. But uh, if we Tone it down to something that's, you know, somewhat more relatable. Let's say someone who um, has a tough time walking, mm-hmm. uh, like someone who has a, a neurological disorder, um, like uh, muscular dystrophy. Okay, yeah, sure. Could they be a person that would use, like, an exoskeleton to walk? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd okay. say, like, something like that, it would probably be on a case-by-case basis because one person with muscular Mm -hmm. dystrophy is probably going to move different than someone else with muscular dystrophy. Yeah, like those models, like even those models and like how those devices work and move would differ. Um, But yeah, for sure, an exoskeleton could uh, be used as an assistive device to help people like walk or even like relearn how to walk. Uh, Yeah, for someone who's been in like an accident or has had a traumatic... Yeah, like a stroke or something like, yeah. Okay, so I I think about this. All right, so you you got this machine that knows how uh, walking works technically and how climbing stairs works. I remember a long time ago when I when I was a kid, um, I had a robot dog called Techno the dog. I, I don't know if this rings any bells of any sort. I think a, a but few, it was a few. This, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Right. So I had this dog named Techno, and it was the coolest thing in the world. So this is like the '90s, and I remember it was the coolest thing in the world because it could walk. This was like a, a toy robot dog that could walk, and it was. Oh, blew my mind <laughs> how this machine could walk. Um, so it was incredibly clunky. It fell over after three steps every single time. And I was worried about the poor robot dog's joints <laughs> because it was not a smooth walking. So we can't just tell this exoskeleton, okay, just move forward, go up, go down. It's not that simple. Uh, no. Well, uh, one thing to keep in mind, like, you you might not like to hear this, but the '90s was a long time ago. You know, like so. Yikes! <laughs> like, there's been a ton of advances since then, uh, including things like reduction in sensor size, or like, uh, yeah, like technology is advanced to allow like sensors to be smaller. Um, but also too, like, so my work was strictly in the models and telling the exoskeleton, okay, you're walking right now, or like you're you're walking and your leg is in the air, and then from there. 
uh, it's like, okay, I know this information. Now I can tell other moving parts or I can tell moving parts in this exoskeleton what to do. So my work wasn't so much focused there, but I guess what I'll say is like, have faith in how far we've come in that there is like development in these exoskeletons and not just for, you know, factory workers to help them lift like thousands of pounds or something crazy like that. Um, although I like to think that those exoskeletons are there to help reduce injury, not so much make them superhuman. Um, <laughs> but yeah, have faith that things have gotten better and will only continue to get better as uh, technology advances and uh, parts, like moving parts, get less expensive or become less expensive. All right. And of course, those moving parts, as they get less expensive, they still need something to tell them what to yes, do. Yes, of course. Yeah. And you're in the business of telling them what to do <laughs> via programming. Yeah, I like that. In the business of telling telling things what to do. <laughs> yeah, You're just bossy. You just boss machines around all yeah. day, don't what you? What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So thank you so much for talking with us today. It was a true pleasure. I'm going to like go up and down the stairs like a whole bunch of times <laughs> in a row and like really study them. I'm going to email you again at 2am like I've discovered this about how I go upstairs. So look forward to that. No lie. After I finished recording that audio with Val, I went up and down and up and down and up and down my stairs a bunch of times thinking about how complicated it actually is to go upstairs. And that's why we need people like Val Bauman in order to teach the machines to do things like go upstairs. Speaking of teaching, we are certainly always learning. And here at We Know Some Stuff, we have to admit every once in a while that we don't know all the stuff. Therefore, we end every single episode with a fact check. And Val and I listened to this episode a few times, and we couldn't find anything that directly needed correcting. Which doesn't necessarily mean that everything we said was 100% true, but to the best of our knowledge, at the times, it was. However, if things do change in the future, we'll be the first ones to correct ourselves in a super special fact check episode of We Didn't Know That Stuff. So thanks for listening to an episode of... We know this stuff, or some, we know, we know some stuff. That's the name of this show.